on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and today my guest is cinematographer Anastas Michos, and we're going to be talking about The Kissing Booth 2, which is opening on Netflix very soon. Hi, welcome to the show, Anastas. Hi, thank you so much for having me aboard. It's it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. This is a fun movie. Um, this is a really... I was. It's not a movie as that I would necessarily watch myself, but um, because I knew I was doing the interview, I did watch the first one, The Kissing Booth, and I just thought it was adorable and uplifting, and I was looking forward to seeing the second one. Um, and I just uh, was uh, leading an interview with Joey King, uh, the star of the film, and also a producer. Actually, has a producing credit on, on Kissing Booth, too. And uh, she said the critics didn't really care for the film, but the public did so talk a little bit how you worked on both films what was it like for you and you filmed in cape town south africa is that for both movies or is that just okay so why was cape town south africa chosen to represent santa monica california (laughs) um, as you know as many people know but some don't that the um, the movie business goes where actually follows the tax dollar and the credit. Uh, so they t- we tend to follow the most thankful buck. And um, this the first movie was a very small film. It was tiny, not expected to do you know, to do well at all. Just a little movie uh, coming of age story. And your one's dollar goes much farther in South Africa than it does uh, in, in Santa Monica, just by the nature of the exchange rate. Uh, and interesting enough, uh, Cape Town is as far below the equator as L.A. is above the equator. So the climate is very much the same. Uh, the um, sensibilities are the same in terms of palm trees and ocean and oceanfront homes and whatnot. So that's how we ended up there. Interesting, because you don't hear about too many movies being filmed um, that are supposed to represent America in in South Africa. So that's an interesting, and they're beautiful homes, by the way. Um, They are. Most people, uh, I mean, many Los Angeles, I really have to try and convince that, in fact, it was not in, because they actually say, oh, I know that house. And I go, I don't think you do. Uh, (laughs) No, it's in Malibu. No, I don't think it is. Um, So it, it is that similar. Of course, um, except that they drive on the other side of the street. Uh, yes, they do. I, I, I love Africa. I, I love South Africa. I've not been to Cape Town yet, but I have been um, to Kenya and other places in Africa, and I absolutely have a, an affinity for Africa. So what was it like? So what's, what's the, you've worked on all kinds of wonderful movies and all different types of genres, um, you know, less period pieces to romantic comedies and thrillers and musicals. So what was different about um, filming this movie? Well, I was in South, the way it came about was I was in South Africa working on a, another film for, uh, for a different studio, and it was a very dark movie indeed. Um, it was... Um, a supernatural thriller. So all shot at night, lots of rain, gloom and doom. And I was there for months. And I'm the type of cinematographer, and I think that most of us in the business are, we assume the mantle of the tone of the of the film that we're doing because we're working with it day in and day out. Uh, even if it's, you know, uh, we know it's make-believe, but 
if you're around crips all day long or and, or people shooting at each other all day long, uh, it lends a certain tonality to your dreams. So while I was there, I met um, serendipitously a colleague, uh, Michelle Weiser, the producer, uh, who we had dinner together. And she said, well, I'm doing this little romantic comedy. And instantly I said, oh, when do you guys rap? I mean, when do you start? And uh, she goes, no, not this date. I go, oh, I'll be wrapped by then. Throw my name in the hat. Um, and I had a lovely dinner with the director, Vince Marcello. We got along so well. Um, it was a Thanksgiving night dinner in Cape Town. And mm. he invited me aboard. Um, and it was just a pleasant release from the kind of film I'd been doing. So I literally jumped on board and uh, met Joey. And I, re- I love the script. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I met Joey um, and started to see her character as Elle, I thought, wow, this is really going to be a very sweet film. And much to our surprise, it became Netflix's most rewatched movie. Isn't that amazing? Is it yeah. amazing? Because the audience, I was trying to figure out really who is your target audience in a way, because it does deal, it does deal with, you know, sexual subjects. Um, obviously you're assuming it's going to be high school students. And maybe since it's been so long since I've been out of high school, I didn't <laughs> Well, I think it ran, it runs the gamut between, you know, uh, young teens and and into their 20s, I think, Um, because the story is so, uh, it's so grounded about a, a young person's first love. Uh, and it's grounded in that sense of reality. And Vince is a marvelous director who, who who got the tone of the film, which I believe is sometimes the most hardest thing to get. If the script is right and the cinematography and the acting is right, the tone and the pacing, he just managed to nail it. And I had friends who were, you know, Italian and uh, Mexican and Argentinian um, young girls and yeah and, and and their mothers go wow what a great movie it was you know so worldwide it, it had struck a note um, that that um, was which was fun to see yeah and I and I do think that I mean when I was watching it um, obviously being an adult woman um, I, I just thought it was adorable and it was just I mean right now I'm looking for anything uplifting all I'm doing is watching romantic comedies right now. <laughs> Just to get away yes, from it. Like the news is, I'm, I'm discovering old movies that I didn't even know were out at one point at a time. And so this is very refreshing. And I thought, well, this is a movie that each, it's um, multi generational. I'm not sure about young kids, but certainly, you know, you could, parents and uh, their, their teenagers would watch this film, and maybe the grandparents too. Uh, <laughs> I think yeah. it's, a, it's you could see three generations sitting on uh, watching the this this film, you know, and, and each one of them bringing to the table their own either memories or um, expectations for the future of it, you know, because as you said, it de- it deals with some quote unquote uh, more adult themes like sexuality and, and whatnot, but those are real questions that you know high school kids do and have, uh, mm-hmm. and real issues that they deal with and how they deal with it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I was, um, I was pleased to work and Vincent and I, um, I have to say it was one of the most delightful collaborations I've ever had in, in my career. Um, we, we're, we're to the point where we laugh at each other's jokes before the punchline's delivered. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's a good relationship. And that makes that working environment so much more enjoyable. 
you know, I in in reading uh, an interview I said with Joey King, she said she thought the sequel was better than the first, and I and I also thought it was it was quite good. I thought they were on the same on, on par. You know, I thought they were. I thought the first one was was cute, and having watched them back to back, and the second one was also adorable. But this time, it also touched on the theme of homosexuality. So how did I mean? How did the you know how did the cat the writers and the rest of the cast feel about touching on that topic because it is relevant today in, in, in this world and for, certainly for high school students to be able to see a film that represents them in that way. There's others, but the, in this light comedy, you know, you, it's not something that you would see touched upon. So how did that come about? Well, I mean, you'd, you'd have to direct that question directly to the writer, Vince, uh, as to how it was put into the film. I do know, though, um, that among the crew and among the actors, when we did those scenes, there was such a feeling of support uh, for the character. And it's one of those things that I love the way it was written because uh, of the because these are a group of kids that went to school together and we probably assume they've been going to school all the way through their high school years. And um, Joey has the friendships that, that the young man comes out to her first during that beach scene. And it is such a matter of fact, uh, loving smile that she gives when she can support her friend in, in discovering his own sexuality that that I think it just leaps off the screen. It's just a wonderful scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 it and it goes on without giving away the film. Uh it, and it goes all the way on to the penultimate scene. So um so I, I do I do like that. I, I um again, like I said, um it, it Vincent was very had his finger on the pulse of of what that time is and um and i think the film managed to show it mm-hmm. and it does it in, in, a, in a really lovely way so yeah so when you're when you went you you as i said you're working a lot of different genres how do you approach a movie like this i mean you know this is a light fun you know uh comedy versus when you you know you did texas chain massacre you know? yeah that was not, <laughs> not so light uh, and, I mean, that's a big range. And then, you know, Mona Lisa Smile. Let's yes. throw that one in there, too, with Julia. Yes. Um, so I think that the uh, the job of a cinematographer, the way I approach it, is that uh, as though, although I have my own aesthetic, um, I don't nece- I'm not necessarily steeped in a particular style. Uh, I think that the narrative is what describes the the photography and i've always been a student of putting the camera and what is this cam what is the story being told and that's when i talk to my operators and my assistants my gaffer i always say so what's the story what are we saying why is the camera here and once you start to answer those questions as to why the camera's here uh, then you can start to answer the question of why does the light look the way it does why am i creating a, a space and a mood for this character to operate within. So at times, uh, a dark thriller or a horror film such as First Purge um, can be a little bit more, um, more experimental. 
because you, you really play with the edges of the spectrum. You know, how dark is dark? How scary do you want it to go? How, uh, you know, how can we just barely see an actor and reveal a pop scare, for example? The other side of that in a romantic comedy is, particularly of The Kissing Booth, is how do we create a world that is the um, idealized world of high school? Because we're very clear that you know, not everybody's going to these the school. It's it's a, it's a it's an elite school that they're going to, um, and possibly what is the as an older adult when you think about your high school experience, we tend to idealize our memories, our good ones, and so that was probably the approach that I that Vince and I spoke about and 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 took it in that direction. Very interesting. So did you approach this one any differently than you did the first one? I think when you're doing a sequel or a franchise, uh, as I've done a couple, um, you one has to, the very first one, depending on its, its, uh, how it's been received, uh, sets a tone. And one can't stray too far away from the tone of the film because it's the same story. You know, um, the Kissing Booth 1 and 2 are continuations of a story that happens just literally months later. Um, unlike, let's say, a Marvel comic or a Batman series or something like that, where you say, okay, this is the prequel and it happened 20 years earlier or 15 years later, and one can play with genre and, 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 and lighting and tonality. In this story, they're pretty well continuous. So um, we didn't do much to change from one to the other. I just wanted to make sure that, um, that the romantic parts were romantic and idealized. And that the actors look good, you know, that, that they, um, they were, I, you know, the good looking people. And I just wanted to make sure that we kept them that way. And they are good looking people. Yeah. <laughs> especially all, Noah. All, Jacob, all, yeah. huh, sorry? Yes, especially Noah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jacob Alardi. Is that how you say his last name? Yes. Yeah, he, he's adorable. Uh, and now we have a new uh, leading man also in this one, too, that is also uh, quite handsome. So that, that keeps your attention, <laughs> even as an older adult woman. <laughs> like, no, absolutely. And, you know, sexy and, young man to look at. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there is that. I mean, one of the things that um, it's, it's been a criticism about American filmmaking in terms of casting movie stars versus European filmmakers. Um, and it, it is a uh, it is a style that America has. We, we do cast good looking, idealized people. Uh, Europeans tend to do so less. Um, but that's what this film was. It was an idealized version of L.A. You know, every place that they they went to in Los Angeles was beautiful and great and trendy and fun. Um, and so, you know, we we keep that among among our actors and, and in terms of lighting as well. Very fun. Very fun. You've worked with some amazing um, actresses. Uh, you have worked with, gosh, well, let's go back to Julia Roberts on Mona Lisa's Smile. Isn't that where she met her husband, Danny Motor? No, they actually met on, oh, gosh, two years before that. Danny was the second assistant on the Julia movie that she did with Brad Western. The Mexican. The Mexican. Yeah. Yes, the Mexican. Right. Okay. Yes. So, but, but, but then Danny worked on this, right? He worked on. Yeah, I brought Danny on. I brought Danny on as a uh, B camera operator. Oh, wait, wait. He worked 
on Mona Lisa Smile. He did not right. work on Kitchen Booth. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. And Mona Lisa Smile. Yeah. Um, yes. I was just, yeah. So that, uh, what was what was it like working with Julia Roberts? Because she's amazing. I had done I, I, I've been doing this for quite a while as a camera operator and a DP. So the first time I worked with Julia was on a movie called Kings of Carolina with um, with that was directed by Lassa House from shot by Sven Nyquist. And I was the A camera operator. Then I worked with her again. On something called Stepmom, uh-huh. which was a Susan Sarandon directed by right. Chris. Um, why can't I remember Chris's name? Chris from Home Alone, Chris. Um, oh, yes. Oh, well, well, it'll come to us. I don't know Kings of Cal- uh, Carolina, but I do. Uh, that was a, that was Bobby Duvall, Dennis Quaid. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Julia. Uh, Kara Sedgwick, who was great in that. Yeah, I like family, her. Family drama in, in the South. And lots of house from, of course, from, you know, all right. the wonderful films he made. Then I yes. worked with Julia again on a thing called Mary Riley, which was a Stephen Frears film with John Malkovich, the re- a remake of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh-huh. So uh, Julia and I go way back. <laughs> <laughs> and she's fantastic she's such a pro uh such such a charming kind loving human being uh as down to earth as anybody would want their uh family member to be and um and i cannot say enough kind things about her yeah she seems to be that way um you know that's what you get that essence from certain people but then you hear sometimes stories about them that they really aren't that way and i'm like really yeah, so disappointed. <laughs> but okay. it's well, nice to hear that she is that way um absolutely. that's why we would adored her all these years i think so i think so she yeah. and she's got something coming up on netflix now i heard she's redoing she's doing a thing with um Denzel. Oh, that's right. I just I did read that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That looks very interesting. Very interesting. They reteaming after after what Pelican Brief is that the one they did together? Yeah. yeah. Years ago, right? Yeah. More. I think. Yeah. So that's that, that's kind of exciting. I mean, Netflix is attracting uh, bigger uh, stars all the time uh, to, and they're teaming up. I mean, more and more actors are teaming up for projects that uh, that are going to be on Netflix. And God, thank God for Netflix and. You know, and all the other streaming services uh, for during this pandemic. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, um, at one point, I think um, I I do believe that watching something streaming on your television and the cinematic experience are two separate things. Yes. Um, And we don't have the latter. Right. And I and and I don't mean them to, and they're certainly they're and they're equals as well. The storytelling that's been going on in the streaming world has just been getting better and better and better and better as more people watch. There's been more writers to write and directors to direct. So um so I, I have great hopes of what might be out there coming up. You know, it's a very obviously a very interesting time that we're living in, and I I've said over and over and over again on the show throughout the years that you know movies are meant to be seen on in the movie theaters. Quite honestly, and uh, that's you know movies that are made for television, and and obviously the Kissing Booth was made for Netflix for a streaming service, but um, you know the big movie, you know Tenant, and we're all waiting right. for Tenant, you know, to come out and it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back what, what do you think um just off the it's a little on the topic but off the topic of cinematography but about filming going forward i mean you know 
are are you afraid to go back on a movie set? No, no, I have uh, a I have a movie coming up with Morgan Freeman in a few weeks, so I'm not love him back, um, at love all. Him. I, mean, I, I think that with um, okay, if if we believe in science, which I do, mm-hmm, me too. Uh, <laughs> yes, I do. I, I believe that the Earth is round, and uh, <laughs> and that scientists uh, are vetted and they and they are experts in their field. Um, and having said stated that, I believe that following the uh, protocols that scientists put out for us minimize risk to the extent that work is acceptable. Um, and I liken it to, you know, I'm thank goodness there's a thing called the FAA, which minimizes the risk of getting on airplanes because people put a bunch of rules in place saying if you're going to cart people around, you make sure that the pilot's trained, the mechanics are trained, the parts are vetted, et cetera, et cetera. So therefore, the risk of going 36,000 feet in the air at 600 miles an hour is minimal. Um, so since I fly, I also am listening to the scientists and going, okay, so we've minimizing the risks for um, – to go back to work and i think i think work will happen again as like i said i'm doing it one of the things i do want to say though to, to liken it to cinematography though is that you shoot differently for a television screen versus a big screen yeah tell me about that tell us about well, that what's the difference the language is different um and when i say the language is different uh it has to do with tonality and it has to do with viewer perspective. If you could imagine, uh, if you could imagine going to a concert and 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 watching a concert, or just listening to a concert on a headset versus being in a concert hall, in music terms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you will recognize that the instruments are placed in a certain way. That in a concert hall, you have a kind of experience it's 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 visual as well as oral when you put your headsets on it's only oral when you're looking at a big screen as opposed to a smaller screen the language changes in the sense of a close-up on a big screen has far more impact when somebody's face is 30 feet wide Mm -hmm. than it does in your home living room set when they're 60 inches wide. The same thing with the, the wide shot and the same thing with pacing. Uh, so in terms of how it's cut, how bright things are, how dark things are, what's the ambient light around is the, you know, are people going to get up and turn off their living room lights while they watch your piece? I do remember that there was a lot of complaints of, at one point about uh, game of Thrones and one of the episodes being too dark um, like a year ago or so. And the question, you know, and I was curious about that because you, it's a rare occasion you go into a movie theater where you, you're not used to the dark, but that same scene in your living room, well, might be too dark to see. Oh, right. And it, yeah, yeah, right. It, it also, yes, it does depend on your, your, your light in your living room when you're watching right. it and all of that. Right. You know, and the same I, thing, yeah, and the same thing with that, you know, orchestral piece. If you have a blaring on your speakers and, you know, this, the, 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 the mixer is going in the kitchen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change the sensibility of that piece rather than at a concert hall. So, so we do approach it differently. 
or I do for sure. Anastas, it's been lovely having you on the show. I um, it, it, it's a joy, enlightening, and I I hope the kissing booth two is as successful as kissing booth one, and maybe it will become uh, a series, as you say, a franchise with more of them. I can see them going to college and and continuing this story. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. If you've missed any of the Jam Price shows, you can go to my website, thejampriceshow.com, where you can listen whenever and wherever. Also, you can listen on the iHeart Podcast Network, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. And like the Jam Price Show on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Jam Price Show. Thank you for listening. On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio, Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.